Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where we are building a theology of self-care. My name is Andrew Ware. I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. Through conversations with others and reflections, we are building a theology of self-care together, exploring how we take that initiative to care for ourselves as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. Welcome to this episode, my first interview episode in uh, almost a month, and so I want to welcome you in. I am welcoming back here Sarah McIntosh. As I mentioned at the top, y'all will remember her. She was on one of our Strong Mother Runners episodes uh, last year. Uh, I believe it was about last January, February time frame. Uh, And so she was an awesome interview then, and I wanted to have her back because she has had just an interesting year, an interesting racing season in terms of running, um, and that has played a large role in the way that she has practiced and lived into her self-care routine. And so I wanted to invite her on uh, to be a part of a conversation around those tough times in life as I, too, wrestle with a uh, bad race, uh, a bad time where I did not live up to my own expectations or even the expectations that I thought others had. And so let's dive into this episode with Sarah McIntosh. All right, we are back here today. We've got Sarah McIntosh back with us. Uh, Sarah, why don't you remind the folks just for a second, maybe the folks who haven't heard the other one, if you haven't, go back and listen to that episode. That was part of the Strong Mothers series that I did in uh, probably the opening months of the podcast. But Sarah, why don't you reintroduce yourselves, reintroduce yourself for our listeners here? Yeah, my name is Sarah McIntosh. I am a pastor, a mom in North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina and after living in Florida for a couple of years, I'm happy to be back. Um, I am a runner as well. Um, I'm just over two years postpartum and enjoying getting back into running and doing the things I love all while chasing a little toddler. Yeah. And when we had you on last time, we kind of talked a lot about that new motherhood and what that looked like in being a runner, what it looked like, you know, pushing a stroller, balancing life and everything like that. Uh, And for our listeners who have listened to that episode, I I believe it was at the end of the episode where you announced your intentions to run the Richmond Marathon uh, as your first postpartum marathon. And I wanted to do a follow up because I think as we follow up on this, uh, having been at the, I did the half marathon, having seen some of your posts, I think uh, an opportunity to talk about self-care arose from this. And I think it's a good conversation to have. Uh, So before we get into the marathon itself and what that day was like and what the follow-up was like, uh, what did your lead up to that marathon look like? How were you balancing? How were you uh, doing things with church, with a husband who's a pastor, with a daughter who is uh, a double PK, um, with with just all of this stuff? How are you balancing marathon training with all of the other stuff and getting ready for this marathon? Yeah, so the lead up... Um it was actually my second postpartum marathon. Oh, okay. Um, I did one in May in um, just outside of the school, the town where I went to college. Um, so this lead up 
um, was pretty similar. I found that whereas before I had a daughter, I used to do like 16 week training plans or even 20 weeks. Um, I found that just isn't as feasible now that we um, have a, t- a, a kid and we're one extra thing to juggle. Um, so I've been doing 12 week plans for both that build up in May and this one leading up to Richmond. And I found that's a little bit easier to manage, um, a little bit more, um, I don't know, easier to wrap my mind around and a smaller block, but still more than enough time to get me ready. Um, cause I'm still running before that, but it's focused training for those 12 weeks. Um, so I, I did the same plan I did back in May for Richmond and it's a nice, um, balance it has a day off every week which is nice um this was my first time in a long time especially my first time since my daughter's I actually did a lot of really early morning runs um previously she was still co-sleeping and waking up a lot so getting out early in the morning to get my miles in was something I just didn't do Mm -hmm. so I really loved getting to do that for this build-up um, it made it feel like I wasn't sacrificing quite as much time with family because I was trying to do as much as I could before everyone woke up. So I actually liked that change yeah. for this buildup. Yeah. And, and for those of our listeners who aren't runners, you know, a lot goes into marathon building. Even, uh, even a beginner marathoner will put in 20 to 30 to 40 miles a week getting ready uh, much less a novice marathoner who's done it before is probably doing uh, more mileage to not just finish the marathon, which is as a run coach is often what I say, you know, that's your first marathon. Let's let's finish. Let's figure out what 26 miles feels like, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually for some folks. Um, but especially as you get going and you had you had a goal for the Richmond Marathon. Uh, what What was that goal that you had? Yeah. So one big goal was to finally set a new PR. Mm -hmm. My PR is actually from Richmond in 2013 when I was a senior in college. The first time I got a BQ. Um, And my goal was to set a new PR, which would have been a BQ as well. The actual A goal, realistically, is I thought I could do sub 325. My PR was. 329 and change and based on my training I felt like I could run sub 325 so that was the the a goal so to speak (laughs) yeah um and you talk about BQ for our listeners that's a Boston qualifier Boston is one of two marathons uh that you actually have to qualify for in order to make it in uh it's the it's Boston and the Olympics those are the only two some of the other marathons have qualifiers, but they still have a lottery system where everyday runners can get in. Boston does not have that. Uh, so to get a Boston qualifier for a runner oftentimes means a lot uh, for a lot of runners. And then I think especially as you reflected, uh, again, we'll get to a minute about Richmond, uh, but that period in your life, uh, if, if, if you don't mind talking about this, when you talk about that PR, that period in your life was one uh, in which you talked a little bit about wanting to put it behind you. 
in a way. Can, can you talk about that for a little bit and the feelings that you had around that um, before we dive a little bit more into what happened on race day? Yeah. So actually both my half and full marathon PRs are still from that fall of 2013, which, I mean, I'm still very proud of those. I, I mean, I trained a lot. Um, I say I trained a lot because I was probably overtraining and that's still from a period when I was struggling with coming back from disordered eating. Um, it wasn't the time when I was like actively restricting like I was when it first started in college, which would have been, I think, my sophomore year. But I was still, I hadn't found the right balance between fueling and the amount of activity I was doing. So still very much in the like red S or like relative energy deficiency syndrome mm -hmm. um, was probably very much still dealing with that. I was not underweight, but was borderline. Um, so sometimes because my PRs are from that season of my life, when I get into negative headspaces, I almost wonder if I can ever even attain those again. Mm -hmm. I like fall into that trap of being like, well, is smaller faster? Because in my race time results, that's true. I rationally, I know that's not true, but because those PRs, still stand, I have to actively remind myself that that's not true. And actually being stronger and well-fueled is actually what's going to make me a stronger runner mm -hmm. long-term. Even if I don't yet have the PRs to match that, I know that's true, but it can become really hard to remember that when the race results don't come or don't match the training. Yeah. And so we talk about negative headspace, and I think if there was ever a marathon, half marathon race day to get into a negative headspace, probably this year's Richmond was it. Um, it was, I, I reflected this the seventh time I've done a Richmond race. I'm pretty sure it's the warmest one that I've ever done. Uh, it was not only warm, but it was humid as all get out. Um, I mean, how how hard was it how hard was it for you cuz it was it was really difficult for me how hard was it for you to get into a positive headspace of any kind at the starting line of that race knowing that gosh these are not optimal conditions mm -hmm. yeah i mean like you said it was really hard and yeah. this is coming from someone who grew up in north carolina lived in florida for a couple yeah. of years like humidity is not a foreign concept to me i do a lot of my training in really humid sometimes really hot weather but it was still so demoralizing <laughs> it really yeah. feels like it was demoralizing just how quickly it was like oh this is a really warm day i can remember in the first like two miles i think thinking to myself like, wow, the sun is already really bright. I'm already feeling warmer than I want to. But I also decided like, why not just go for it? Mm -hmm. Like go out at the pace you're striving for. And honestly, if things fall apart, at least you know you went for it because I could start conservatively 
and still have the same thing happen because heat just does that to people Mm -hmm. like from the fastest of fast runners at the front like elites struggle with heat everyday runners struggle with heat like we're all dealing with the same circumstances so i did decide to just kind of go for it and see what happens um i mean obviously i hoped that the heat would not become as much of a factor as it did but i decided at least i'll be proud to know that i i went for it instead of holding back and not knowing if i could at least try yeah and and one of the reasons that this becomes such a a vital like thing that we can focus on in terms of self-care is the thing that sucks most about life is there are external factors that we cannot control at all uh and i think it's really present when we talk about you know coming into races um you know, I, I think about my lead up to Richmond and the injuries, the sicknesses that I had, you know, th- those were, were somewhat internal factors, but still feeling good on race day and then coming in and it just being, you know, so warm, so humid. Yeah, we had just been through a summer block where you get that warmth and humidity, but there's something different about getting in that race mode and it not being, you know, that ideal 40 to 50 degrees where, you know, you can toss on the singlet and after like a mile or two, you're warmed up and you're feeling good and, you know, the heart rate's not spiking. And so in the face of, you know, external factors making things go wrong, how... Obviously, it, it, you tried to stay in a positive headspace, and then you you come through the finish line. Um, what were your first thoughts when you cross the finish line? Um, you immediately stop your Garmin because you did not. I know you listened to Allie on the run, so you did not look at the photographer. You just stopped your watch because we're those kinds of runners. Um, you stop your watch, or you look at the clock. You see the time. Um, you know, I, 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 you're, I don't know how far away your husband was from the finish line, but you've got to go through that long shoot. What are those thoughts that run through your mind? Yeah. Um, so I will say I did not stop my watch. So I, I do feel proud of that. I don't know if I, I probably tried to smile. It might've looked more like a grimace at that point. Um, I was slightly encouraged because my husband and daughter we're in that final stretch right before the finish. Mm. So I got to see them right before I crossed the line, which is always helpful because regardless of the time on the clock, which I don't even fully remember, like I know I saw it and was like, yeah, that's not what I wanted, but I I made it here and I get to stop running now. But getting to see my husband, Shane and daughter, Abigail, just for that moment made me be like, nothing else matters. I got to see her. She was still excited to see me. She was still clapping. She didn't care how fast or slow I ran. I mean, if the only reason she would care if I ran slow is because she wished I had gotten to get to her sooner. I was like, I want to see mom. Um, (sighs) But once I crossed the finish line, I, I do think I, the disappointment did hit pretty quickly like once I finally like staggered my way through the finish shoot which is long yeah (laughs) um I like wanted to sit down before I even got to the 
space where I could meet up with Shane and Abigail and forced myself to keep walking because I knew once I sat down, I was not going to get up very quickly. But once I got to Shane and Abigail, I sat down in a shady spot and I just remember being like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I hate, part of me hates that that was my first response was to like apologize as if I'd done something wrong by not meeting my goal. But I just felt this need to be like, I'm sorry, I, I didn't execute or I didn't have the day we thought I could. But that's, that's exactly what I felt like when mm-hmm. I got there. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't know what happened. It, it did not turn out like I expected. And, and it's that immediate thought because, you know, we put these goals in our mind and we put these goals in our mind for a reason because we feel like it's what we're capable of. It feels like it's what we can do. And I know especially for a lot of runners, we know it's what we can do because we've we've done that work of knowing and understanding our bodies deeply and intently on runs, in speed workouts, and tempo runs. You know, we've done miles upon miles at certain paces and all of these things. And when we fall short of that goal, it feels like, okay, like, was everything that happened before just a lie? Um, Was, you know, am I actually in really good shape? Am I beating myself up mental? Like, is my mental game off? Is my emotional game off? Like, what's going on? And I feel like in the translation to life, when we begin to, you know, move this conversation over, it seems like no matter what, as human beings, we like to beat ourselves up uh, for some unknown reason. Uh, we create these goals, and when we don't hit them, we judge ourselves against whether or not we hit the goal uh, instead of maybe judging ourselves off of what we might be able to learn from the outcome. And so uh, what have you noticed in your reflections on this race? As you've, you know, you've beaten yourself up, You've offered yourself grace. You've been in the middle. What if? What are some of the things that you've kind of learned a little bit from from this moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's coming to mind is probably something a little bit unexpected, but for your listeners, like the Active Faith podcast, hopefully it'll hit. Um, it'll land. So it kind of feels like going through the stages of grief, mm-hmm. like. Kubler, Kubler Ross, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I've gone through all of the stages of grief. Like I've been angry both at the the outside circumstances that I had no control over because you pick a race months, sometimes even longer in advance. Obviously, you have no idea what race weather is going to look like, and it just feels so unfair. Yeah. That you can put, you can plan everything, you can work out so many details, but ultimately. The race day weather is completely unpredictable and completely out of your control. Like for Richmond, it was really hot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people ran indie and it was ridiculously windy and rainy. Like Philadelphia was windy. New yep. York was hot. I think Chicago probably got the best deal out of yeah. all the fall marathons. Because they but, got an American record. That's um, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been like angry at those outside circumstances, but also have been 
kind of sad about learning how my mental space might have played into it. Like once things started to fall apart, I think I'm realizing like, yeah, I probably got into a really negative headspace and was kind of like gave into that desire to walk, even though I could have probably run more. Mm -hmm. It's not like I couldn't. It was just so mentally defeated. It becomes difficult to convince yourself to keep running when things are not going well. Um, Walking feels like it takes much less effort. Yeah. So I have been able to learn about even on race days that don't have the ideal circumstances, what can I actually do to at least make the most out of a hard day? Um, trying to stay in a better headspace, working with other people around me, um, encouraging other people, because even in encouraging others who are having a hard day, that boosts your race as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been able to see some of those things in retrospect. I've also been able to see that I needed to let myself be sad about it for a while. Um, I think often in races or after races, we feel this pressure to to be proud of the day, to celebrate the accomplishment. Because if you tell most people, oh, I ran a marathon or I ran a half marathon, they say, how'd you do? Like, are you proud? <laughs> and you're like, no, no, like, but no one wants to hear no. So you just kind of say yes, even though there's so much more to the story than that. Yeah. Um, and I was doing that at first. I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm proud I finished, but really I was more disappointed with a lot of things than I was proud. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I let myself feel all of those things that I could actually genuinely start to be proud that I still made it to the finish and that I still um, grew and learned a lot from the experience. So I had to go through all of these different stages to finally get to meaning making, which I think has been proposed as like this, the sixth stage of grief by like new people. But meaning making is so important because it's allowed me to, to find the lessons hidden in a, kind of less than ideal day yeah and and when we work through those stages is is the ways in which we begin to learn and grow from those experiences as well and so bringing it away from running and back to this holistic nature of self-care uh, which is, I mean, which is what I love about this holistic nature of self-care is as a running fan, it can all be broken back down to like all of my life experiences in running. And so I get to just bring on all of, you know, all my running friends on here. It's just, you know, that's always fun. Uh, but we, we, we come in here and we think about the ways in which we process things as human beings when we have our own failures in life. And so you know, beyond the marathon, beyond running the marathon, you've had, I'm sure, because we're all human, other failures in your life or other times in which you felt like a failure. Do you feel like in some ways your experiences, not just with Richmond, but around a lot of your running races have given you a better perspective when it comes to 
handling the situations that come with that come at you in life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yes and they also have helped give me a lot of opportunities to practice and grow because I've had other really disappointing race results. Mm-hmm. As I said being in the south, I've this is not my first historically high temperature race day, which is also frustrating. I'm like, why? Why does this happen where I pick races and then they end up being historically hot? Um, but they give me a lot of opportunities to practice having grace for myself because I am sort of a recovering perfectionist. I tend to be really hard on myself when I feel like I don't um, fulfill the standards that I've set for myself, even when those standards are unfair, Mm -hmm. which both in running and in life, I have to practice and intentionally remember to have grace for myself because my natural inclination is to just beat myself up about it. Mm -hmm. I am the worst bully to myself. Um, Externally, that's not what I'm getting from people. I'm getting encouragement and reassurance that I should be proud of whatever I've gotten Mm -hmm. from a result, Mm -hmm. whether that's running or life. But I am inclined to be my worst critic. Yeah. So both in running and life, I get a lot of opportunities to practice having more grace for myself, to practice treating myself how I would treat other people, because I would never tell someone I was disappointed in their result or outcome. So why do I do it to myself? And I have to learn that yeah. again and again. And, and I think there's a lot that goes into that. You know, I reflected in a blog post and during my ordination time of, you know, you do all of those, you know, pit others, you have some people rate you and then you rate yourself and you always come up harsher. I, I mean, I wonder if I wonder if that's a, a, a place of introspection when it comes time to think about, you know, who we are in terms of our own self-care and what that means for how we're able to care to care for others as well. Um, as you think about being your own toughest critic, not that you have the answers, but what are some what are some ideas that you think go into that? Yeah, it's really hard to even truly think about because for as long as I can remember in my life, this has been the case. Like I have always been predisposed to strive for perfection or strive for really high standards, Um, both in school growing up. Like I was the kid who, if I got a 95, I was upset I didn't get a hundred. Or sometimes there were, if I got a hundred, but there was extra credit available, I was like, well, why didn't I get the extra (laughs) credit? Like this has always been a part of who I am. And I think, it does make me think a lot about it now that I'm a parent because more than anything, I don't want my daughter to like inherit these tendencies from me. Um, so it, it's provided a probably a layer of extra accountability to it, 
at the very least, to be very aware about what I'm verbalizing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's only one step because we hear again and again that kids absorb our body language. They absorb all of those um, nonverbal communication cues. Mm -hmm. So it's made me a lot more aware of how I have these unfair standards for myself and how I can lessen those so that I can give my daughter a better message for how we treat ourselves, how we speak to ourselves, how we think about our bodies, our, our accomplishments. Um, it's, yeah, it's provided a good layer of accountability and I am very much still a work in progress because I have a long way to go, but it does having a daughter makes me strive much more intentionally to do better because I want better for her. Well, and I think that's important to name because we're always working towards that understanding of being better, of, you know, being kinder to ourselves, being kinder to others, being more in love with God, more in love with our family, more in love with our friends, our, you know, for you and I, our church communities that we serve. Um, and, And so, you know, naming that it is a growth process and that we're continuing to grow, I think becomes in and of itself a, a nature of the healthy growth that we experience. Uh, but also the other one that you talk about is is hearing from other people, hearing the encouragement from other people. Uh, and 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 what does that processing look like? Because um, I know a lot of times when I'm upset, like the last thing I need is someone to tell me, oh, no, you actually did a good job. And sometimes I'm just like, no, that was like that was like the worst thing I could have ever done in my life. I had no part of that was good at all. Um, what it, what's that like in your mind to process what other people are telling you, whether it whether it is your husband or whether it's other family, whether it's friends, whether it's people in your church community, whether it's just any you know anyone around? Uh, what's that like to process sort of that non-critical affirmation in the midst of those you know? when we're beating ourselves up? Yeah. Um, this is a helpful question to think about. And one that is, I, I see a stark contrast in the different responses I got after Richmond. Um, my parents or kind of those like family members, especially my parents and in-laws were like, you should be proud. Why are you disappointed? Why do you care about a time? And while those encouragements were helpful. They were maybe less helpful than the ones I received from others in the running community. Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful things for my own processing was when I finally decided to share the kind of messier version of my race report where I voiced being disappointed and wondering if I was silly or just foolish to expect that I could actually run the time that I wanted to. And voicing those messy feelings on Instagram was where I posted it. And hearing so much from others in the running community say, yeah, I've been there. Or yeah, that was me after my race. They could relate and it helped me and I helped think helped others in the running community 
be honest and practice more grace just by naming the hard parts. Like naming the disappointment was what I needed to do. I didn't need Mm -hmm. someone to tell me, don't be disappointed. Don't be hard on yourself. I needed someone to be like, yeah, it's really disappointing when you work so hard at a goal and it doesn't happen. Um, so the running community was, has been extremely helpful in processing it and just created the sense that we're not alone in these feelings. So many of us have race days that don't go perfectly. If it's not weather, fueling can go poorly or like there are so many things in a race that can go wrong especially such long distances (laughs) yeah even on the best race days it's probably not the perfect day Mm -hmm. even when people run american records like emily sisson talked about having a rough patch and Mm -hmm. thinking oh i think i might need to slow down but then coming out the other side like Almost every elite runner I've heard talk about race experiences says, like, it wasn't perfect. There were rough patches. There were great patches and everything in between. Our training is never perfect. So, like, why do we expect perfect on race day? Um, Which is something I'm having to remember um, even as I say that. I mean, I, I think there's also something to be said when we think about looking at our goals it's the finalization of the goal that leads us to want it to be the best experience that we can give uh so you know when you're thinking about whether it is finding a race or you know you work for a long time for a certain project or i mean even pastors like all the work we do on a sermon during the week uh we want it to be the best that it can be on the time and when we feel like we've fallen short on that that can that's that's the place where it's just like ah oh, like i could have i could have done better but then i think there's also room in that for us to learn okay what didn't work you know was it internal or was it external was it something i could control or something i couldn't control and how does that go in to doing to doing it the next time and I love that I love the reflections that you got from the running community because I think it is affirmational to hear those because you know we know what you went through we we know what that twenty six miles and that's nothing against people who have never run a marathon and are still sitting there supporting you um but I think it speaks to we're also reminded of the different ways that communities can lift and support us um you know, a lot of times I'm not going to my run club asking for tips on my sermons um, unless I need like really good sermon illustrations. And then they're just a gold mine for that. Um, but to I go to my run club for affirmation when I'm running, when I need help, just, you know, as a human being, uh, you know, I go to my church community when I need support and encouragement on how to be a better pastor. It, What's it what's it been like for you? You know, you you've kind of seen this lesson lived out in this experience. Has it made you more aware of the community that you surround yourself with? Has it uh or or has it just reminded you that you have built community in several different ways? I think both of those things are true. It's made me more aware of the beauty of the running community and the power to in sharing our stories with like honesty and vulnerability because 
it creates these avenues for like a real community to happen and for people to to learn lessons. Sometimes some people voice things in a way that gives voice to feelings we've had, but that we hadn't yet been able to um, put into words. So it's reminded me of the beauty of the running community and how grateful I am for that space. And it also has reminded me of the power of community in all of these different ways, Mm -hmm. like both the running community, both family and other friends, church community. Um, As a clergy person, church community always feels bigger than just the local church where I'm serving, but clergy colleagues or bigger like the annual conference or others from seminary. Um, But being grateful for all those different pockets of community Mm -hmm. and the fact that I'm more than just one thing. I'm more than just my identity as a runner, but I'm more than that. And I have all of those different aspects of myself and all of those different spaces of community and all of them are a gift in their own ways. All from 26.2 miles on the run uh, to be reaffirmed and and re-understand everything that, that kind of sits and exists in who you are. It, yeah, I mean, it, it was such a it was such a weird day. For me, it was also just such a weird buildup of a season, you know, reflecting on a lot of my injuries and and sicknesses. But it does it does get hard not to beat beat ourselves up. Um, but I think the other thing, at least for me, that Richmond did was it lit the fire under naming for myself, uh, as I process all of my grief, um, how much I want to accomplish my goals that I'd set out to do in Richmond, uh, and that I'm not going to let the bad experience stop me, um, which is something that you reflected kind of post that you were like, Maybe I do just need to kind of hang up the run sneakers and just, you know, enjoy family life. Um, so is this driving you towards another? It, like, what is that? What does that motivation look like for you? And like, if it's driving you to stop running, what what does that process look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's it's certainly not driving me to stop running. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the thought of stopping running is ever on the table. But it's a, it's a little bit messy and this is part of like the unique demands or unique challenges I guess of being a mother runner is I have these competing desires. We have a I have a goal to chase a race where I feel like I run to my potential. And I say that because I'm becoming more like fired up about that as opposed to chasing a specific time goal. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I really run to my potential, that means more to me than a, a time on a clock, whether that's a Boston qualifier or a PR or just a day where I truly feel that I ran to my potential. Um, that to me is the real goal. The time on the clock is just the cherry on top. Yeah. Um, but I have that desire, but we also want to grow our family at some point. And I mentioned in my post, like 
the plan, quote unquote, it's always, you hold plans with open hands and they're all tentative, but you're like, I'll run Richmond, try to get a fast time, and then we'll focus on trying to grow our family. But since Richmond didn't go the way mm-hmm. I wanted to, it felt like we didn't get that bookend to transition into a different season where running was still a part of my life, but maybe not as much of a focus. So with the lack of that sort of cap to a season, it's created the question mark of, well, do I chase another fast time or do I let that goal be further off in the future? Um, And it's still kind of in limbo. We don't fully know. Um, I have certainly been searching some early 2023 marathons thinking about like, why not go for it? Um, There's a marathon in Wrightsville beach in North Carolina at the end of February. And my husband is actually the one who first was like, why not this one? And and since he suggested, I was like, Ooh, maybe, (laughs) maybe go for that one and have that one be the, if that one, like that's kind of the, the celebration tour before letting running, play a different role for a couple years um so that that's like the competing factor it's more than just i didn't get this result at richmond and i immediately want to chase it which part of me did part of me like googled houston marathon or like that's way too soon (laughs) i wouldn't even have the time to get another training block in but you don't need a training block you're that's right there you're 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 already there there's no need for a training block (laughs) yeah um that's been the harder part because it's more than just, okay, I didn't get the race result I wanted. Let's just go for another one. Mm-hmm. It's, I want to go for another one, but I also really want to grow our family. Like, And not just I want to, but we want to. Mm-hmm. And having to balance those competing desires. And I say competing because, I mean, as the, the woman, like there are natural changes that happen that make it not ideal to put that extra strain on my body. Um, So we're still trying to figure it out, uh, but there might just be one more, one more shot at a fast (laughs) marathon before, before really focusing on growing our family. I don't know. I mean, Sarah Vaughn had four kids and she's crushing it in the marathon. So, you know, I mean, I'm not saying four, but uh, <laughs> yes, no, that was sorry. Sorry, listeners. That was not. <laughs> yeah. Um, But well, I, I, I want to go back to, I want to touch real quick on that competing, you know, interests, competing thoughts, competing ideologies. Uh, because I definitely think that in this case, it does hit you differently. But I think a lot of listeners can probably uh, empathize with those competing thoughts that pull us in two different directions and struggling with what it means to care for ourselves because they can be pulling us in directions that feed, whether it's a spiritual gift of ours, feed uh, a calling that we feel like God's putting on our hearts. I, I mean, it can, it can, it can be that difficult to to balance those two things and and I don't want to mitigate any of that for any of us because when we feel like it you know in your case there is this joy and passion 
not just in running, but running fast. And I and I do like to, you know, distinguish those for a lot of people. There are people who do have just the joy of running. Uh, and and I I love those people. They are great and they are wonderful. I have that, but I also have the joy of running fast sometimes. I can go for a, a nice slow run and feel great. But then I could also need to like go out and just drop, you know, a 20 minute 5K to also feel good. But to also see that competing interest of, but you know what? I also really want like a, a bigger family. Um, I, we want to grow this family. And to hear that almost makes me think of what does self-care look like in those times for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of what it is, is reminding myself that more than one thing can be true at a time. Like both things can be true. I can work really hard towards goals and want other things. Um, And even reminding myself, like I can want to work hard and strive towards goals and I can be a good mom while doing that. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes, at least in this particular, like, tension. I get into these questions about, does this make me selfish? Does this make me a bad mom Mm -hmm. to care about chasing fast times or running races? Um, And reminding myself, like, I can work really hard towards goals and want to attain them. And I'm still a good mom. And even more than that, like, that's modeling for my daughter that we can chase after big and scary goals like I want her to see that Mm -hmm. I want her to know that um and I do remind myself too like in self having care around this is reminding myself that it's a long game as well um I might want to run another race before we grow a family but ultimately I mean as you noted Sarah Vaughn has four kids and has run insanely fast. So many mom, like Sarah Hall has kids and runs fast. Uh, Kellen Taylor is about to have a kid and came in the top 10 at the New York City's um, Abbott dash 5k. Like yeah, moms do incredible things. Kira D'Amato has two kids and is running. But when I do that, I have to look at the long game because for that first period, and I think where I am right now is recognizing it's taken me two years to get back to this place where I really feel like I can run to a potential that I could like actually set new PRs. Mm-hmm. I ran a 5K PR that is minutes faster than my high school PR, which is less impressive than it is partially sad about high school runner me was very different than runner me now. Um, but believing I can chase those PRs took me two years to get back to this place. And when I think about growing our family, it's recognizing it's going to be like maybe three years before I get back to running at this level and making peace with that and knowing that running at a more semi-competitive or at least very um, intentional level will still be there for me on Mm -hmm. the other side of this. But it's hard to look at that from where we sit and to recognize that those goals are going to be on the other side of potentially a multiple year wait. 
I think is what makes it so hard. And I think it takes time to process that and to, to come to peace with it. And and that's where you look at some of like, that's where you look at some of those other professional female runners or other female runners. And you say it's possible. And then, you know, the moment of doubt creeps into your head, but is it possible for me? Um, and I, I wonder how often we let those sorts of, you know, things sneak up on us when we do have those competing interests, because no matter what we're looking at doing, there's probably always someone else who has modeled the path for us. But I think that there's also that understanding of they may have modeled that path, but is it going to work out the same way for me? And that sounds like what it becomes the scary part for a lot of us. It's like, all right, cool. Like they did it, but is it necessarily going to happen to me? Um, And then how does that get in the way? Um, That, that always becomes the very difficult thing for, for any of us to sort of process and understand as we, as we all go after our goals. Um, I think we need to catch up in the spring, see what you're going to be doing. That's right. (laughs) Um, but let's hit these end of podcast questions because I've changed them a little bit since you were on last time. Uh, what what is your comfort meal? Ooh. This is probably always changing and always tricky. Depends on what time of year it is and what's. But recently, this is silly, but it's been like chicken and like. Plain white rice with like butter and salt. <laughs> I think after every long run this last several months, I've been like, all I want is rice with salt. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Would you rather have a night out ho- night at night at home or hanging out with friends? Say night at home. Yeah. With friends, potentially, let's combine the two. But <laughs> definitely, night home. <laughs> All right, what is? Uh, you've had a long, hard week. What does your ideal day off look like? Would definitely start with ideally our daughter Abigail having had a good night's sleep. Mm. Always a good one. <laughs> an ideal in a in a perfect world that would be the case, and then. Lots of coffee, like a slow morning at home. It would have a run, hopefully in cold weather. <laughs> um, and then just sort of relaxing, some playtime outside, probably some reading while Abigail takes a nap, and then dinner as a family. It's pretty simple and quiet, but those are the things I love. Uh, and then... Uh... So you answered this one last time. Uh, What makes you feel accomplished? Yeah, I think what makes me feel accomplished is my worth, my work ethic Mm. and my commitment to, to working hard towards goals I have, not just in running, but in life. Like I am someone who really does work hard at the things I care about. And I'm, I'm proud of that. And Regardless of how things turn out or circumstances out of my control, I can always be proud of the work that I know I put into things. So that makes me feel accomplished. 
And then here we go. Let's see what she says. What is an upcoming goal that you have? Yeah. Actually, it's so, probably just like get through Christmas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually do have a race this weekend. I decided to try sign up for a trail 30K. And that was a concession for a little while. I, I really wanted to do the 50K. But doing a 50K three weeks after a marathon didn't seem like the wisest choice. Yeah. Um, so I decided to to be wise and to do the 30K. Um, so I have a 30K the beginning of December. I'm thinking about a 25K in North Carolina um, in early January because Des Linden is going to be running. Ooh. And when she's going to be like at a race a, an hour away from our house, it just feels like a good opportunity to yeah. have a supported <laughs> long run. Let Abigail meet another um, running great. Um, and then a little further out, I am thinking about doing the Wrightsville Marathon at the end of February. That's as far out as I've got, but. Well, we'll Those are three uh, possibilities. We'll, we'll we'll keep we'll keep following that, friends. Uh, her uh, Sarah's Instagram information will be in the podcast notes, so be sure to follow that that run journey there. Uh, what an awesome you know list of races. I, I'm I'm sticking to the five and ten k's uh, for a little while. Uh, I'm doing the Shamrock Half in the spring, so I'm just going to stay on the lower side. You enjoy those uh, 25, 30, 50 k's. You can keep. Keep having those. I'm all right. <laughs> but yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. What a blast. Thanks. Oh, wow. What an episode. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad for myself that some of my interview learnings have not been completely lost in the time that I took off. But uh, I, as I more often than not think, a lot of times it is the interviewee that helps the interviewer. All I can do is just ask the questions and um, I am so glad I had that time to sit and listen and hear from Sarah as she processed a lot of her feelings around uh, how she felt after her Richmond Marathon race. And really, as I reflected on those uh, by half marathon race to really reflect back and think about uh, what my mind was processing, what I was doing, where I was going. And so I really appreciated her uh, um, I, I really appreciate her perspective on that uh, in opening myself up. And it gave me a lot to think about of what happens when I feel down. And, you know, I know early on this started as like an active podcast. That's where the active faith comes from. Um, but over time, it has transitioned to more focusing on that self-care uh, understanding of how we live into that, un- of how we live into that process in our lives. Uh, but I always continue to come back to the lessons that I have learned from running uh, and the lessons that I learned from others from running oftentimes help me in my own self-care journey. And I know one of the things that this uh, conversation, this understanding really highlights for me is that understanding of grace within our own self-care routine. We know that we put these uh, high, high, high often expectations upon ourselves in our journey and to come uh, along as we live into these high expectations often can feel like a letdown when we don't meet those expectations. And it's not that Sarah's expectations uh, were necessarily high. As you heard, she felt like it was where her fitness was. It was where she feels like she was trained to be. But oftentimes when we rely too heavy on those expectations, we miss out on what actually happens within the race. 
And it's not that we don't go into those races with those expectations, with those goals, but sometimes it's recognizing, okay, maybe today's not my day. And then on the other end, in the midst of that grief of not hitting those goals, that might be an opportunity for us to come in and give ourselves that grace that we are so yearning and longing for in this process. And so, you know, we're not necessarily lowering the expectations, but we're not allowing the expectations to continue to define our lives once we finish whatever it is we are doing. And so we allow ourselves that time to grieve by looking at those expectations. Where did I fall short? How did I fall short? And then we find a way that we move forward. And I think moving forward becomes the name of the game when it comes to self-care, because if we get stuck in that space and stuck in that area, we can almost halt any progress forward. And I think the lesson that we learned from Sarah is that being able to process and understand that grief, where it's coming from, what is going on with it, and then answering the questions of what it means for us going forward, help us to uh, heal, help us to continue to care, because those lessons that we learn there are going to be the lessons that we take into the future. And I think that that becomes a huge and crucial thing and a huge and crucial part of this. So I want to thank you so much for joining uh, in this conversation. I'm so glad to kind of be back on the horse. Uh, we're going to con- I'm going to continue to try and bring you some episodes. Now, it, it, it might not be every week. I do have one that I'm recording next week, so we'll see if I get it edited in time. If not, I might bring you a solo podcast again and bring you some more of Andrew's thoughts. Hoping to bring you some throughout the uh, Christmas holidays. I will uh, front load and hopefully get some recorded. Uh, but don't forget to join us over on the Active Faith community. Uh, don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast so that when those episodes do come out, still hoping every Friday, uh, they'll be right there in your feed. And then make sure you also subscribe over on Substack because I am hopefully going to be using that to release more regular uh, newsletter article type things and get into that space and trying to really uh, gain up a bank of articles and stuff like that. And I hope to make it kind of a weekly newsletter of what's going on in the world of self-care and just have a couple of thoughts that I have uh, each and every week just to kind of enhance what we are learning in this podcast. And so I hope you'll go over and uh, check out both the podcast and the newsletter. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow both of those. Uh, I'd love it if you would leave a rating and review. Just head on over to Apple Podcasts and please leave me a review. It lets me know how I'm doing. It helps others to find the podcast. And then if you are feeling generous this Christmas season, this uh, holiday season, I would love it if you would take the time and, and maybe just consider donating to this uh this opportunity, this mission, this ministry that I have going on through Patreon. I do want to give a shout out as I do every episode to David Vaughn, Pam Anderson, Amy Dane, and Andy Wells, who are my current patrons. You know, I'm, I'm working on goals for next year, and I'd love to see that jump uh, to about 20 people supporting this podcast. So if you can find it in yourself, just, just a few dollars a month uh, to come and support this podcast, help me continue doing this mission and ministry uh, for you all, for this world, so that we can all learn and grow together. And you know what? If you can't uh, do anything else, I understand. Like, there's a lot that's going on. But if you would please just share this with others, so that uh, we can continue to grow this community. I think growing this community is one of the greatest things that we can all learn and grow together. And so, share it with a friend. Invite them to listen. If you tag the podcast, if you tag Running Rev on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I will give you a shout out, my eternal love and gratitude, um, and help us to grow this network. 
And now may God bless each of us and may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen. Amen.